Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Nathan Baird, along with Stephen Means from Cleveland.com. We just got back from Ohio State interviews. Practice number four is in the books this spring. And today we got to talk to pretty much every defensive lineman on the team with, with maybe one or two exceptions. I think we talked to every end or tackle, or at least they were available to talk to. Stephen and I uh, run them by ourselves today. We did not get a chance to get to every single table. But we've been kind of pouring through the interviews and then going over what we heard today. And right there at the end, we got one of the more intriguing moments of the day when Jack Sawyer and Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams made a bet. They put it on the line. They said, who's going to lead us in sacks this year? Whoever loses. So I guess it's whoever finishes third in that group, whoever has the least, or is it the two no. that have the least? It's No, it's not about those three. It's actually... It's the defensive line versus it's well, they're all defensive linemen. It's the interior guys versus the edge. Oh, rushers. I got you. Okay. Tackles and against it, edge rushers. Yeah. The genesis of it was Mike Hall. You know how sometimes players can like butt in on the interviews and ask jokey questions. Tyleek and Mike had been trying to do it for like four or five straight questions, but obviously we're trying to do our job, so we're not letting them do it. And near the end, Tyleek goes, Hey, you know how the defensive tackles have more de- Ta- uh, sacks in the defensive ends last season. That's going to happen again this year, too. And Jack's like, oh, you want to put something on it? You want to bet it? And at first, Mike Hall is like, oh, $100? Which is not a crazy thing to do anymore. They make money. They have NIL deals. They all have cars. And he's like, no, it can't be something like that. It's got to be a friendly ma- friendly wager. And so it's sprints. The lo- I don't know how many sprints. They didn't get into that many details because they ran away before they did all that. But the whole point is, they're betting that the defensive ends are going to have more. Whoever has more tack, more sacks this year, the loser has to run some type of sprints. And they think that they were able to speak on behalf of the entire unit and make that bet. I mean, that's I'm just you. imagining, imagine getting to the end of the year and the defensive ends have more sacks and someone tells Jerron Cage, like, oh, you got to go run sprints now. And he's like, what? I mean, that's the details they're going to have to figure out. That's not our problem. I don't have to run either way. That's all I know. I'm also like, and I don't, listen, I know they're big guys, but they're also like world-class athletes. 
some, if not all of them, world-class athletes, like is running sprints really that much of a punishment, even for the defensive line? Yes. I don't think anybody likes running. I don't know. I think, I don't think athletes like just running just for the sake of running. When you're running while you're playing your sport, that's one thing, but just to be running like, you know, you know, hundred yard sprints or, you know, from sideline to sideline for conditioning purposes. That's not fun. I don't care how much shape you're in. It still doesn't make it fun. That's true. It's just, it's, it's like making you're... a long distance drive. Like you're, you're really excited to get to your destination, but the drive itself is annoying. It can be boring, but it's something you're trained to do. It's something that you like a big yeah. part of your day. Every day is getting yourself in prime physical shape to be able to run fast. I don't know. It, it, to me, do it's you like, like transcribing. If you had like a one on one hour long interview, would you have fun transcribing? that? First of all, I don't have to anymore. Thanks to the genius who created otter.ai. I can just feed everything through there. But I think that's it. That is a fair example to be. It's sort of the tedium of what we do to do mm-hmm. what we do. OK, I, I suppose it's a punishment. Who do you think wins that bet, by the way? Tackles or edge rushers? I'll say edge rushers because they have more candidates of guys who can rack them up. While with the interior guys, there's only one person I'm confident in right now will have more than three. Yeah, I think I'm going to vote edge rushers too, especially if they actually do go to this hybrid spot and and utilize that from different angles. And maybe they create even more of a pass rush with that. And we're going to talk about that. A little bit later, but let's start off talking about the guy I think you just referenced. You sort of just verbally subtweeted uh, Tyleek Williams, who is a guy who's getting a lot of attention based on what he did last season as a true freshman came in and as a rotational player was able to have a pass rush impact out of the middle. And as we were talking with Doug the other day on the pod, that when you can get that sort of penetration through the middle of your defensive line, it really makes a difference and it, it sets some other things off. I remember 2019 of all the things that that defense did. Well, we sometimes overlook what Davon Hamilton did piercing through the middle of that, even Jay Sean Cornell to a lesser extent, like piercing through the middle of that defense. And yeah, they had help off the edge from chase young to be sure, but that dynamic made an impact in that defense. You were at Tyleek's table for a long time today. I didn't go talk mm-hmm. to him one-on-one, but what did you hear from him that leads you to believe that there could be something better this second year? That all the flashes we saw were real, but because he was fat, he couldn't do it for more than two plays in a row. And Ryan Day hinted to that when we talked to him on Tuesday, back during the season when we were asking about Tyleek Williams, Coach Jay, uh, Coach Johnson hinted to that as well, the idea of, his recruiting profile had him listed at 6'3", 330, which suggests that, okay, he's an interior defensive lineman. Maybe you lose 10 pounds and we're off. He came in at 360 pounds, and he said that COVID got the best of him. And what he meant by that was he's from Virginia, so Virginia moved its fall high school season back in 2020 to the spring, and he elected not to do that because he and Travion Henderson, also from Virginia, decided ah, we're not going to stick around. We're just going to early enroll and start our college football careers, which means they hadn't played football since 2019 when they were juniors in high school. 
And obviously, Travion Henderson did the stuff he needed to be able to make an impact. But even we saw him trying to get worn down and that be some of the problem for it. Let's talk about a dude who's already north of 300 pounds and probably likes to eat and he's not playing football and he's probably got limited resources to, you know, keep up that keep keep himself in tip top shape when he shows up. That's how you show up. 50 pounds overweight and he admitted to the idea of he thought he could play at 360 because he is so explosive he said his 10 yard burst is 1.65 seconds which is extremely fast for especially for somebody that size so he thought he could play at that weight because he was still pretty explosive the problem was they were doing drills in spring football and he couldn't get through them without being bent over on his knees and hole in his back and being out of breath and so and it he lost a lot of that weight as they got to fall camp, but it never really got to a point where he could do what he was doing in those flashes consistently enough, especially in the run game to have a role that exceeded past, you know, he played 20 snaps against Akron. He played 20 snaps against Tulsa, but then he never really had a role after that. And it's because he wasn't in the shape to be able to do it. He's down to 317 now, which he says is a good playing weight for him. He actually looks better now. And so we can see a lot of those flashes that we saw last year where he was, blowing up pockets he can do that for 25 to 30 plus snaps now instead of being out there for five or 10 snaps and calling it a day yeah, he wasn't north of 300 pounds like if 300 pounds is the equator he wasn't florida he was canada yes. like 360 is crazy <laughs> and so now he's more in like that florida range it's a very comfortable mm-hmm. like you're a big defensive tackle and you know what do you do with that and i think it to be that size but yet to be the guy that they're looking at at three tech as opposed to nose, which is where you would often put up maybe a bigger body and where they really need some help to, to stuff the run moving forward, I think says a lot about that athleticism. You mentioned he said that he ran one point. Was it one point five, six or one point six, five on his one point six, five. OK, which and I want to give people some perspective on that we're looking at the numbers that they gave us yesterday at pro day 1.65 is good it's in the same range as like haskell garrett they had at 1.62 electronic on his first is 10 yard burst uh tyree smith 1.62 on his 10 yard burst there are some guys though that it's not that different from like garrett wilson they have 1.55 but that's a guy who's going to accelerate more i think over the course of his 40 and everyone does to a certain extent, I suppose, but it, it tells you that as a, as a freshman at that size, where he was still working athletically, that at, that kind of bulk could move that fast. Cause he's obviously bigger than Tyreek Smith. He's even still a little bit bigger than Haskell Garrett played at. What do you get from talking to him today? Cause last year he was a rotational guy. I mean, it was, it was, Nice to see him flash that stuff, I think, if you're an Ohio State fan. But he also wasn't the guy you were counting on. And again, especially down the stretch, they had veteran defensive tackles that were taking the most important reps. And some of Tyleek Williams's flashing moments, as you said, like they're coming in like the fourth quarter against second string. It's good to see that as from a true freshman, but it doesn't necessarily mean the same as if you're doing it in the first quarter against the first string. So what's his perspective right now on, I guess, the burden that's on his shoulder not burdens maybe not the right word but just the expectations that have now grown because now he is sort of they need him to transition from the freshman who does those things when he gets the opportunity to the sophomore who does those things early in a game and and sends them towards a victory to where you're putting in freshmen later in the game yeah it feels like we're going to say the word consistency 
a lot over this pod as we talk about guys, which is, I mean, we're going to be talking about a lot of young talent entering their second year in the program who are taking that next step. So that's probably on par. The idea of, there was a lot of Aaron Donald, Jordan Davis talk with him today, which is, Aaron Donald's name should never be mentioned with yeah, any other interior lineman ever, ever. Let's yeah, just let's... make that perfectly clear. There's only like two defensive players ever that he's in a conversation with, and none of them are in the Woody right now at all. So let's not do that. Here is the point, though. You made it with Davon Hamilton with Chase Young. Chase Young is a generational college football player. We all know that. But there is something to having what happens when a defensive end beats his defense, beats his offensive tackle, right? What is it? It, it? Automatically, a quarterback's supposed to step up into the pocket. So that way, the defensive end has to bend. And the more athletic they are, the better bend it, it is, the more, the, lead, the more less effective them a quarterback stepping into the pocket is. But what happens when there's no pocket for a quarterback to step into? That's when Chase Young can be Chase Young. And if you really go back and watch a lot of those games in 2019, that's what was happening. Chase Young would force a quarterback back up into the pocket. But when he would go up there, Jayshon Cornell, B.B. Uh, Landers, Davon Hamilton, uh, Tommy Togia, Haskell Garrett. No, they would push that quarterback right back out and flush him out to the sides. And that's where Chase Young would get his work in. And Jack Sawyer brought that up today as well. The idea of, to have a guy like Talik Williams, to have what Georgia and a lot of SEC teams, Clemson as well, have had over the year, those interior guys who eliminate a pocket, that's only going to help these edge rushers like JT and Jack when they're trying to get sacks. And so that's where he's most important is this seems like a guy who might be able to blow up a pocket a pocket just because his get off is so well, especially as a three tech who's most of the time getting one on ones. And he said it himself. He thinks the three tech is in a four down front is the most important person on a defensive line because of that. He has one on ones in inside and he's the guy who can blow up a pocket in a way that, quite frankly, the other three guys on, who have their hand in the dirt can't do. Because the nose tackle is usually getting double teamed and the edge guys are trying to get around the end and they get bent. Yeah, that's an interesting conversation to have, I suppose, because I agree about the three tech getting those one on ones. Those are often created when a nose forces double teams. Mm-hmm. So does Ohio State have a nose who's going to force double teams? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Some of the candidates there and the guys that they are probably counting on to do that and, and who's coming along. How does he see the rest of his game right now? Because we saw the flashes of the pass rush. But what else is there? I mean, is he is he feeling more complete now that he's maybe becoming a little bit closer to what he's supposed to be athletically just by shed, shedding that weight? Yeah, I think the, the, the fatigue factor, he wasn't good against the run last year at all. And I do think a lot of that has to do with when you're tired and you're probably not physically where you need to be because you're 18 years old and you combine that with you're not getting a push when an offense and you're in the Big Ten where – running the ball is you know the bible at this point he wasn't good against the run and so he does feel like i feel it now i don't feel like i'm getting tired after two or three reps and so i can be out there but more importantly i can have an impact against the run and not just on third and long situations where it's clear that an offensive line is getting ready to do a pass set that's where it's going i think that's more important it's almost more important than what he does against than what he's able to do against passing downs. Cause while it's great to have an interior guy mess up a pocket, you're dealing with the run a lot more often than you are the pass. And it seems like he's in better shape. And so he's not out there playing winded. And so instead of being out there for two snaps, 
he said he said he can play a lot, which is like six, seven snaps in a row where he's not going to get burnt out if a team's just trying to run the ball down the throat of Ohio State, because that was a problem for the interior. It was very easy to run the ball inside, especially when guys like Haskell Garrett weren't on the field. Yeah, when you look at his pro football focus chart from last season, you can tell that he was a guy that was just pooped. Like those last four games were among his four worst games. His worst game of the year, though, might have actually been the Rose Bowl in some ways. I mean, they have Mm -hmm. him with like three missed tackles out of four attempts. And uh, three of the four missed tackles he had all season supposedly came in that game. And some of that's the opponent. Utah is good at running the ball and whatever. But you could just see that physically that it had just worn on him last year. And I thought it's a good segue into the guy we're going to talk about coming out of the break. Uh, one of the guys, because there was a dichotomy between a guy like Williams who maybe uh, lagged a little bit in his discipline and let it get away from him and had to try to catch up from a physical standpoint and what JT Tuomaloa did to be ready to start last year and make an impact despite coming in so late. It was a very intentional thing. We're going to talk about that and a lot more when we come back from break here on Buckeye Talk. So there might be nobody on this roster that has, I think, the expectation to make a jump in their second year that JT Tuomaloa does. Uh, I suppose you would talk about some people on offense, I guess. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr., could he um, jump up to a, a pretty high level? But, you know, Tumaloa being one of the top prospects in the country, bar none, any position coming into last year, and to get here in July and then turn right around to make an impact. You know, Ryan Day was talking about that earlier this week, that he they told the family, they told Tumaloa, like, you know, they, they support the decision he's going to make. Take all the time you need. It's 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 your right to take all your visits and be very diligent about what you have to do to make this decision. But just know that it might be very difficult for you to come in and make an impact right away. And their response to that was to say, well, then we need to do something on our own. And he talked today about uh, his family just kind of coming up with a plan to have him be more ready, to not put himself in a position where he's going to hit a wall and not be able to catch up to everybody. And not only did he catch up, he became a, an important contributor. I think it was something it's, he's talked about this, I think last year as he was doing it, you know, being able to make that jump. And obviously the more intriguing thing is what happens next. What does he do in these next few months? And what is, what has he done since the Rose bowl? What does he do between now and August? How does that make him better and let him, you know, make strides towards being one of the best players in the big 10 potentially. But I, I thought it spoke to – it's another window into just – he's just a little bit different. Like he's molded a little bit different. He's maybe raised a little bit different. He's got a support group that's a little bit different. And they've put him in position to maybe maximize what he can do as an athlete. He's a son of a coach, which always helps. I, I was just listening back to the audio. I know he's talking about when he was a kid, when he would go watch high school football games, he thought he was just enjoying life. And his uh, grandfather would quiz him on you know what was going on out there why they were doing certain things that's I mean most kids aren't getting that I remember when we first got him during the season and I asked him about why are you playing playing so well right now and he was talking about while he was going through the visits still playing basketball and you know doing other stuff he's working with his trainer Tracy Ford and Seattle Seahawks defensive and Cliff Averill so he was keeping up 
with football stuff, even if he had no idea where he was going to school yet. But then also just his physical makeup already maybe had him a little bit ready because, you know, we're going to talk about it with some other guys. They maybe had to have some physical transformation. He was 280 when he got here. That guy was already you know, physically ready to play football. So you combine that with his life experiences and what he was doing in preparation to get on whatever campus he ended up at. That put him in a position where not only did he play early and start, but he played pretty well. I don't his floor last year was already pretty high. And obviously the ceiling now that he's been in the hands of the program for a real offseason. I mean, it's probably sky's the limit for him. We have not had a chance to watch them do like actual scrimmagey things, do like, you know, football one on you know head to head things yet in the two practice windows that we've had. We do where the defensive line works out. You do get a pretty good look at them. They're usually right there by where we are standing mm-hmm. or where we're allowed to stand. And at least part of the time. And you see something a little bit different from him right now, even from last season, I think. At least that first practice, he's just a guy that pops at you. When you look at what he is physically, when you look at the way that he attacks a blocking sled, there's something there that that sets him apart. And he seems, I think, also the mindset is important because I think the expectations are going to be pretty high for him. And he seems pretty comfortable with that, that he uh, that he knows that's what he came here to do and that, he, that the impact is supposed to be fast and significant and that he maybe is a little bit ahead of schedule considering how he came in as a sophomore or as a true freshman that late and still became a, a, you know, a starter at some point last year. And yeah, there were some injuries that played into why he had to do that. But my impression is that this is a guy who wants this moment, that, that this moment that's probably about to be here for him and that that's going to be as important to him, maybe having the kind of breakout that he could have as anything that we're talking about physically with him. Yeah, it feels like the impact was there, but not necessarily the statistical production. We might get both this year, which is what Ohio State hasn't had in two years. And I'm not – nobody here is saying that JT Tuimaloa is going to have 12-plus sacks and be an All-American this year, but he might. That's Both of those things are on the table, but I don't know. A guy who finally gets a real offseason, who showed some things as a true freshman and is popping as a sophomore, as a guy who's a – top five recruit that doesn't sound crazy to think that you know he might lead ohio state in sacks and that bare minimum be an all big 10 performer that's all out there for him because of what we were just discussing only two sacks last year but i think but they came in big 10 games it came against you know big 10 opponents indiana yeah. and penn state and obviously the penn state game was a, a huge one at the time and again i'm looking over his pff data and i I don't want to go into breaking that down too much. It's fun to sometimes just take a glimpse because I've said many times on the pod, it's nice that we have this data. I don't think game by game, it tells me a lot necessarily, but I think it tells you something when you look at it from the long view and his, his numbers are kind of all over the place. His grades are all over the place. He has some games with bad grades. He has some Mm -hmm. games with overall good grades. What he has consistently though Every single game is a pretty strong tackle grade. It tells you that this is a guy, again, coach's son, you come in with a, as as much as he was physically developed last year, I think there was also just a foundation of skill and a foundation of fundamentals that he was able to build on quickly. And now it's, you know, he was talking this winter. It's the first time he's had to go through the workouts with Mickey Marotti 
and the um, you know those getting up at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. or whatever it is and going in and having your butt kicked. And he was asked, like, what was that like? He's like, oh, I, I loved every minute of that. Uh, just all those things tell you that, and a lot of guys, I guess, will say that, but all those things combined, I think, are telling you that this is a guy who if um, it is certainly pointed in the right direction of maybe having the kind of breakout that people think he could have as a sophomore. Yeah. That's a good way to sum it up. I, the one PFF grade I do want to, from a game by game basis, he was really good in the Oregon game. He only played 12 snaps, but he was out there in some important moments at the end of that game where the defense, it seemed like they clicked and finally figured it out. And obviously we talked about how CJ wasn't ready to go win that game yet, but he made some plays late in that game. I think he had a tip pass. He had a TFL in that game. If I'm remembering that correctly, that was kind of the first moment where it was like, man, he just showed up here and he's playing this well in a top 10 game at the beginning of the season. This is going to keep trending upward. Obviously, the guy who he is going to be compared to, they're going to be a little bit compared to each other in their progress is Jack Sawyer. And we got to talk to him today. He's a guy who said he came in around 2.30 last year. I thought he came in, didn't look physically necessarily like he was, you know, not ready to play college football. But now he's up closer to 260. What difference mm-hmm. do you think that makes for him just adding that kind of size? It means he can actually be out there and run in running situations because I think his biggest impact – last year was when he got a chance to just be a pass rusher because that's what he is. He was a five-star edge rusher against the pass coming out of high school. Um, he'd been working with Larry Johnson since he was 15 years old. And so a lot of those hand fighting techniques that are unique to Larry Johnson, he's already gotten those down. The problem is here goes the word again, consistency. He couldn't do it consistently because he didn't have the weight, the weight to back it up. I remember asking him during the season about it. And he was like, yeah, man, these guys out here, they're strong as hell. Like it was like, it was a bit of a weird uh, awakening from him of like, okay, I'm great when it's me against a tackle and I just got to go find the quarterback and sack him. But there's more to football to, to that. And I think adding those 30 pounds, another guy where it's almost the opposite. While to league, it's like, I could only play two snaps because I was tired and now I can play seven, eight, nine in a row and not get tired. And let's see what the impact is with jackets. I can only play two snaps because after that, I start getting bullied around in the run game. Now that I've put on 30 pounds, I'm not going to get bullied around anymore. And so now I can just be out there. Yeah. And this obviously wasn't his first spring here. So some of this growth started for him, you know, last year, he was talking about coming in at two thirty-three. I don't think he didn't play it that last year. And he's, it's been sort of a, a, a slow build to get him to this point. And he's probably only up about what, like, like 10 pounds since the end of the season, maybe, or since he yeah. played at last year. So it's not like it's been 30 pounds since the Rose bowl, but I think you're right that this, he, it, many of the guys that I talked to today, especially the younger ones talked about in what different ways, coming in as a freshman is such a wake-up call to you and for him you could you could dominate at one size at the high school level and you feel a little bit more ordinary probably at the college level he was obviously asked today about the hybrid leo jack whatever they're calling that zach harrison was asked about that today both of them said we're just still putting in the base we're still a four down front defense that's what we've been working on we haven't gotten into the leo stuff yet so I don't know. That's we talked about it earlier this week. It's I'm we need to be careful about how we talk about it, because if we make it a daily obsession. It's going to become like the new bullet. Nobody wants that. It's almost like just, you know, put in the back of your mind. Keep asking them about it. But I, I'm not ready to harp on yet. They're like, wait, why haven't they put this in yet? Like that it's that it's urgent because I I think that it makes sense when you're 
putting in and you're installing a whole new defense, even if it's one that's similar to what you did before, um, it makes sense that you're sort of triaging how you do this and unfolding at a, a deliberate pace a little bit. I think at this early stage, we're just asking the wrong people about it. And that's not to say that guys like Jack Sawyer and Zach Harrison won't be it because we've talked about it of the defensive linemen who could maybe do it. They fit that mold, but we've been the two practices already and we see who is doing defensive line work, who wasn't doing defensive line work a year ago. And that's Cade Stover. And that's Mitchell Melton. That's a linebacker turned tight end turned linebacker. And that's a linebacker. So that's, probably part of this maybe we need to stop asking everybody in the world about it and just like ask those two when we get the linebackers hey mitchell why are you doing stuff with the defensive line hey Cade, what are you doing with the defensive line work and that's a better approach to it than just going what do you think of the jack position because yeah you're we're not really sure how much this is actually going to impact the defensive line yet that's the way they talked about it today where it's like right right, jim knows his defense entirely right now from how they've talked about it it's still just like we're going to hit our gaps and see ball, get ball, which is how defensive line work under Larry Johnson's worked out. But it's almost better to talk to two guys who are significantly having to change how they go about preparing for a season in order to you know play this role. And I don't have the schedule right in front of me, but we will talk to linebackers later this spring. I can't remember which week that we is. talk to them. On... I just had it and then I lost it. Uh, April 6th. OK, so we're still a couple of weeks away from that, but. We're getting them with the quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, that's a crazy day. And you're right that the, 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 there will be more insight to be gleaned from that because it seems pretty obvious that that's why maybe someone like Mitchell Melton was moved up to mm-hmm. work with the defensive line. Like there, I don't know that there was really much of a point to doing that unless it's your with an eye on sort of cross training him to be ready for this kind of position. But the reason why it's going to be asked of the defensive ends is because if you're playing someone, if you're playing Kate Stover or Mitchell Melton at that position, then presumably that means only one of Zach Harrison, JT Tuimaloao, and Jack Sawyer is on the field. And that's why I think it's 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 a it's a really relevant question for the defensive line. It's a more relevant question for Jim Knowles as to how they're making that decision. But that might also be part of this process. If they don't really actually feel, if we've jumped over our skis a little bit and and we're it was too much to assume that Zach Harrison or Jack Sawyer has the kind of athleticism that they want from that position, then that may be determining why they're still focusing so much on the four down man, the four man front. And that it makes more sense to stick with that and just play two conventional defensive ends as the base part of your defense, because you want those guys on the field more. I mean, I don't know how it, you're going to really have to do some mental gymnastics Ohio State coaches to convince me that Kate Stover needs to be on the field more than instead of JT Tuimaloa in almost like any circumstance. I At agree. That position, as also, a defen- on the defensive line. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like they, the, whether it's Mitchell Melton or Kate Stover, they have to be significant. They have to basically show you that they deserve to not ever come off the field. If you're going to take off one of Larry Johnson's guys. With that being said, are we sure Zach Harrison is a defensive end? No. He's 6'6", 272 pounds. I think there's there's it, it's worth considering where he best fits. And and there's a lot of evaluation that are going on this spring, mm-hmm. I'm sure. 
Like that's already been, you know, as we said many times, like you've got Knowles coming in completely fresh perspective, the guys at the back end, completely fresh perspective, all these guys, they brought in the support staff, you know, seeing these guys for the first time and working with these guys for the first time. Like I'm, I don't know what things are going to look like. There may be things that we don't really see this spring. The spring game will be nice. Um, The uh, also the, what's the fan appreciation day, which is April 2nd, where we might Mm -hmm. get to see more practice and glean some things that we can't get just out of the three periods that we get every Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have to start uh, seeing guys actually line up. Yeah. Because right. Yeah. Seeing the stretching is, it's been, there's only so much you can take from this guy's up first. That gives you a 2d, but it doesn't give you an idea of how this defense might work. Yeah. And that, that, that's even something I'm not going to read into that much just from, from that portion of practice too. I didn't get to talk to Zach Harrison today, but it's it's uh, I, he is such a fascinating guy for this team that, you know, I think a year ago at this time, we would have been we were skeptical. He was probably still going to be here. And by the end of last season, for a number of reasons, it made a lot of sense for him to still be here. And now what 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 does he go after this this last year? I mean, because he was talking during the Rose Bowl and the lead up to the Rose Bowl about just sort of his legacy and about how that was maybe what was tr- convincing him to come back because he was just sort of unsatisfied with where things were getting left, you know, the, the not getting to the playoff or personal achievement or all those sorts of things. And a guy whose who's leadership will be crucial. I know we don't like to, you know, the play is more important than the leadership, but certainly his, his veteran presence is important and, and what he can do on the field, because it's been, while it hasn't been the next coming of the Boses and the Youngs, it's been pretty high level of achievement here in his career. He would have gotten drafted had he decided to declare. Let's just certainly make yeah. that very clear. And honestly, he might've been the first defensive player taken for Ohio state. It's a conversation at least. Maybe, although, yes, that might be true, but it's also a deep class for edge rushers, and I don't know how high yeah. on that, that list he would have been. So just being the first offensive player off the board this year for Ohio State, depending on where Tyree Smith goes. Yeah, uh, it yeah, and I don't, but even then, I don't know how much that means if the first offensive player doesn't come off until, you know, the 96th pick of the draft. It's, it's interesting with Zach. That 2019 class had three five stars in it all of those guys were impact players by year two but seeing how from that moment how things have just kind of gone in their separate paths like harry miller's not even playing football anymore because of off the field related reasons but he'd have been a starter this past he'd been a starting center but he didn't look like a guy who was clearly on his path to be you know a remington award finalist and all those things that garrett wilson's a top 10 pick now he's had the exact pathway that you would expect from a five-star while Zach Harrison, as you just mentioned, he's good, but he's not elite all-time great. And it's interesting watching his specifically because he's gone from being like the young guy everybody was excited about to being the, eh, we want to see the young guys everybody's excited about while he's kind of forgotten about in this process. So it is kind of, it's almost Jonathan Cooper-ish in a way where he's a top 50 recruit who's just a really decent player, a leader in the room. If Cameron Babb didn't exist, maybe Zach Harrison's a, 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 a candidate for the Blocko jersey this year. He's all those things. It's just, we've 
I don't want to say we've thrown him to the wolves, but we just kind of, he is what he is. We expect him to be really quality this year, but let's talk about Jack Sawyer and JT Tumalo, because they might be all Americans. Yeah, I think I would put, you know, Harrison's been more accomplished than Cooper was at the same stage of their careers. Although Cooper encountered some injuries and stuff that, true senior year i've never called someone a true senior i don't think but that that 2020 season that was sort of a half lost for him because of the injuries and everything um i'm sorry i guess i was 2019 actually i'm talking yeah 2019 was the one that he got all uh beat up and had to 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 bail out at the end of the year and came back for 2020 and and had such a uh, an impactful year um harrison's played at a higher level than that um but it does make you wonder what, what, what else he's reaching for this year? I mean, is there something else there? Can we see a jump like what Cooper had? Because we mm-hmm. talked about Cooper as a, maybe that's where the analogy you're making. We talked about Cooper as like, Hey, really great team guy, good leader, solid player, good guy to have in the rotation. Um, you know, had, had his like, you know, honorable mention big 10 season. And that seemed like maybe the ceiling for him. And then he came out and was something more as a senior, his, his final season. So I think that's on the table for Zach Harrison. I just also think that with to him with Sawyer, he's got guys coming up behind that are also maybe pushing him that way that in a way that he hasn't ever had, he's always been the guy who's supposed to be the young guy kind of pushing for more, or maybe the guy who's bringing those guys along, but they're still a year away. And now here he is, um, you know, the doors may be open for those guys to, to, to push him a little bit and, and take some of those snaps. If, if they're there, There's one more L- break. L- go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say there's an element to him now that's like if he pops, he's a bonus to what we already think the other two are going to be. That may be true. We're going to take one more break. We're going to come back and talk about Mike Hall. We're going to come back and talk about Noah Potter. We're going to come back and talk about some other guys here on Buckeye Talk. Mike Hall is an Ohio State defensive tackle that I got to talk to extensively for the first time today. A guy who came in as a top 50-ish, you know, guy at one point approached maybe pushing for a, a fifth star in his recruitment profile and did not have a huge impact as a freshman and, and was sort of talking to him about the difference between, you know, coming in in the summer, just like JT Tuomaloa did. But again, it, it emphasizes how impressive that was for JT Tuomaloa because he could come in and work his way into even a, a starting position. Whereas with Mike Hall, it was a lot tougher to to make the adjustment there's a lot that goes into it whether it's the physical challenge you're going up against grown men as a 18 year old and guys who've been doing their jobs for a long time on the offensive line and competing against other defensive linemen who are older guys there is sort of the intensity of everything that's going on around you and having to make that adjustment whether that's just how quickly life moves from from station to station in practice and uh, the action that's happening on the field to, I think, just acclimating to uh, classes and everything, just a lot that a freshman goes through. And he, I think, now is sort of feeling like he's got his feet under him. He's feeling a lot more comfortable and now gets to go through his first winter, first spring. I think we've seen this before that, you know, guys come in, you come in in the, in the late in the summer and you don't get that spring for your before your true freshman season and now this is maybe your chance to make a leap a chance to um get to really have your true your actual first year where you can go out and make an impact yeah it feels like last year was about physical development for mike hall 
because there was a plan of him being a nose tackle all along. I know he repped that three tech last year, but that's because he wasn't rock solid 292 pounds. And if the goal and the idea with him was Tommy Togiai, then he wasn't going to be ready to do that as a true freshman. And quite frankly, he didn't have to be ready to do that. They had some depth in the interior defensive line last year. So he could just take the red shirt year, live in the weight room and let's, come up for air in March and let's see where we're at. And it looks like he's on pace. I mean, he looks, he's large. This is a large human being, as we saw, you know, when we were doing interviews on Thursday, he, he looks like a guy who can go from out of sight, out of mind as a true freshman to as a red shirt freshman, he has a role where he's in that rotation. And so that's, uh, that, that was a plan for him when he was on the recruiting trail and they were talking to him then. And so far he looks like he's still on that plan. I thought, one thing he told me today that that jumped out to me was watching last year and, you know, watching Haskell Garrett, watching Antoine Jackson, watching even guys who are still there, Jerron Cage and the defensive ends that they have on this team, um, how much you learn how to practice that just something as simple as that, like knowing what what it takes to be a football player at that level. Uh, it was real eye opening experience for him, but he seems like a guy who's semi-crucial as you're looking at the team this fall, looking ahead to this fall, because as you said, maybe they didn't need him critically last year. You know, he could kind of come along at his own speed, get some reps when they were available. They had enough depth at tackle and enough guys that maybe most importantly at the top of the rotation that they could count on. And this year, it's just, it's a lot thinner. You've still got Jerron Cage. You still got Teron Vincent. You know, Noah Potter's coming off of a, a rough year, as we're going to talk about in a minute. And you start getting into all young guys, Ty Hamilton, Tyleek Williams, and then Hall. And, and if Hall's not one of your five best defensive tackles this fall, I, that seems off. It seems like this is his chance to move and get into that group. Not necessarily a starter. Um, I think Ty Hamilton will probably be the starting nose this year, just given what he was flashed last year, especially late in the season. But he should easily be in that rotation. Top 50 guy, year two, starts to pop, and he's in the rotation and an impact player. That's on pace for where he should be. And I think, I mean, we're talking about Talik Williams and what his ceiling might be. Mike Hall is, an, is a late bloomer as a prospect. You know, this is a guy who, when he committed, he was like outside the top 150 and I'm not going to say it was out of nowhere. It, we knew the commitment was coming, but it seemed like Larry Johnson had maybe like found something in him before the rest of the world had found out about who Mike Hall was. And part of that, him being a late bloomer, isn't because of his own development. It's because his, you know, he didn't take football seriously. He had some like character issues that he had to get right. And it seems like now he's headed in the right direction in both of those ways. He's focused on football and actually being the best player he could be. And it seems like, if T Talik Williams is like the gold mine guy as a guy outside the top 100 who's already outplaying that ranking, it seems like Mike Hall has a chance to live up to that top 50 ranking and be another kind of hidden gem for Larry Johnson of, I found this guy before the world found out about him. And now in year two, we start to see those flashes and it even it rings off even more bells for what 2023 might be for him. I wouldn't forget about Cage and Vincent as possibly yeah. uh, Teron Vincent, both my, actually being the starting nose. If you're going to put Tyleek Williams and he becomes your starting three tech, which I don't even know if that'll happen yet, but if he's pushing for that, I think you're probably going to want one of those veteran guys uh, up front there. And, and I didn't get to talk to either of those guys today. I have the interviews. I just haven't gone back through them, but 
the, we know the story with both of those guys a little bit that you on, on the drawn cage side, you've got, you know, like the four star top two fifty guy who's made this steady climb up to being a, a senior and has, has had a bigger role as, as time went along. And then with Teron Vincent, you have a five star, like the uh, super prospect out of that class that has just for one reason or another. And sometimes it has been absolutely none of his fault. Some pretty serious injuries. Has, has never quite hit. It's never really popped for him. And it's another guy that you're sitting there thinking, <laughs> do, at what point do you call a guy a disappointment? Again, maybe no, no fault of his own. Or at what point is it just the pop hasn't happened and it's still coming? And he's a guy that's going to keep living on that border. It's an interesting parallels with this defensive line right now because you, you got with Cage, you got with Vincent, um, you got with Harrison, even Friday, even though he was hurt last year, Javante Jean-Baptiste, you got the older guys where it's kind of like a now or never thing of like you had these expectations. They haven't hit them yet. And now you're like, all right, this is it, dude. You're either going to be it or you're not. While you've got all this optimism with these 2021 guys with Jack and Talik and Mike and JT and even the 2022 guys, two of which I mean, I'm sorry. Caden Curry is the only one who's here right now, but then you've got Amari Abor and Kenyatta Jackson and Hero Canoe coming in June. It's, it's a, the optimistic way to look at it is, okay, what if it finally clicks for the older guys while the younger guys do exactly what we all think they're going to do? Well, then the defensive line gets back to what we know Ohio State's defensive line to be. Or the other side of that, the pessimistic way to look at it is, these older guys are what they are, which is quality, but not elite and not at a level that's like game changing. And maybe these young guys are still a year away from it. And we're still living in that world that we've lived in really for the last two years where the defensive line is solid. They get pressure, but they don't get home and it's not elite. And I don't that's two very opposite ends of the spectrum that Larry Johnson is going to have to figure out a way to find a middle ground, because the elite part of it, while you love that, I'd rather be the floor be, you know, in the middle where you've got some guys ready and some aren't versus like right now, it's like, it feels very boom or bust with this defensive line. That's an interesting way to phrase it. As far as the boom or bust, I, I, it is a defensive line. That's at a little bit of a crossroads maybe because of what you're pointing out that where there's this overlap, maybe it's a little bit like the linebackers last year, not quite to the Mm -hmm. same extent because we've seen more from, I would argue, Harrison and cage and even maybe Tron Vincent than we'd seen from some of those, the senior to be linebackers a year ago at this time, the guys who are, you know, other than Roger Mitchell, no longer with the program. And does a similar dynamic play out? Like if, you know, it's a, it's a different position because you can be so much more rotational with it. You can often find snaps to keep guys who are lower in a rotation. So I don't think they're going to have, would have the same problems that the linebacker group ran into as far as, just, you know, attitudes and, and hurt feelings and all that stuff. I don't see that playing out, but I do think the opportunity is there for some of these young guys that I don't know. Anybody is so established. Any of these mm-hmm. older guys, Harrison's probably the example. I think he is more trusted than that, but nobody else I don't think is so um, entrenched in their position that they can't be passed up uh, by someone else that there's, there's a move to stardom or however you want to say it to be made at pretty much every spot on the defensive line. Yeah, that is the difference. The linebacker older guys, it never felt like they got a chance. It's like you're stuck behind guys and now the younger guys passing you while with the defensive line. Look like these guys have had opportunities, even with Teron Vincent. Yes, he had some injuries, but he was healthy last year. 
and he played. He played really well in the Rose Bowl, but not to the as you're saying, not to the well that not to a point where it's like your name is in pen on the depth chart. It's more like in in pencil, but it can easily be it's slightly there, and you can get erased because my call is coming, Talik Williams is coming, JT's coming, Jack is coming, Caden Curry's coming, and on down the list. And so it is a little different when it feels like with this defensive line, everybody in that room, nobody in that room can say, I never got my chance because the Chase Young, not even the Chase Young version, but like the Jonathan Coopers of the world blocked me for four years. The way with the linebackers, it was like tough Borland was in my way for four years. I don't know what you want me to do. You know, we always look in bowl season, the bowl practice breakout. We look for who that young guy is. And it's always thought of as like a young guy that like maybe true freshman or a redshirt freshman who wasn't getting the chance and something opens up and there's an injury. There's just a, because of the opponent they're playing, whatever, something opens up and they make their move in bowl season. And last year, a lot of that attention maybe went to the receivers who were stepping in for Lave and Wilson. But I don't really think that that's the definition of that phenomenon that we are talking about and it kind of makes me wonder like what if teron vincent was the bowl season breakout last year he was just an old guy and we didn't look at it that way the marshawn Lattimore, but it happens in year five <laughs> well that, that you know that doesn't count anymore you can't do that i don't um, know if that's your it, i don't know what well, yeah it's, no, it's a the bit whole much point but it's is, like is, the whole yeah. point is that, that that there's a very specific timeline for the for that for yeah. that Lattimore ward kind of situation where it's like underwhelmed. You're, you're not really on the radar and then bang, you're gone. That, that would not, yeah. Ron Vincent would not qualify for that. That's fair. But I do with him, it would be almost cause it's like injuries ruined your first two years here. And so you almost have to push back your timeline, but last year was your first fully healthy season and you flashed some things and now you're 100% healthy to the point that I really hope that, once we get him in fall camp, we're not asking him health questions and we can actually ask him football questions because at some point you're just, or you know who it could turn out to, he could just be Tyree Smith in year five, where it's like when he's out there, he's pretty good, but he's never out there because the injuries keep popping up. I do. That's maybe a good ceiling for Teron Vince. I'm not saying he'll get to that ceiling because Tyree Smith was pretty good. I think that Penn state game, he was clearly the best defensive player on his team, but the idea of, when he's out there, he's making an impact. The problem is his body keeps getting in the way. I think that that can be a ceiling for him as an interior guy. Yeah, I think it's important to remember how good Tyreek Smith was at times last year yeah. and how he did things even in those short bursts that I don't know that we really saw from anybody else on the defensive line that from against like good on good ones on ones against some of the better teams in the Big Ten. I, I don't know that we saw that from anybody else on a, in, in, for even like a game, a game's worth of that or two games worth of that. I think that that's still an element that's missing. I, I you, an Ohio state fan, I think would have to like what they're piling up here. I, I, there's, there's really intriguing depth across here. The fact that it's young depth, which means you could make some big jumps as we've been talking about at all these guys. I, I think that's gotta be exciting if you're an Ohio state fan but there's something to be said for a guy who goes out and just has some of the games like what Tyreek Smith had last year. I think in order to be the defense Ohio State wants to be, somebody's got to step up and do that. Yeah, and that's going to be the conversation for the next six months here is who's going to have the stats because you haven't had it in two years. You haven't had a guy have the well, stats. And actually, Tyreek Smith didn't have the stats either, but some of that was he didn't, he was getting but, held a lot. Yeah, like, things like that. He's so it's, held, it's really it's yeah. the impact 
It's it's it, you know it when you see it, and I don't see it yet, but you suspect that it's there's enough. But, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there's enough hints. Like you would think that like you've got enough shots out of here. It's like the NBA draft yeah. lottery. It's like you know you've got enough ping pong balls in the hopper mm-hmm. that one of these guys should have that pop. I don't, I, but I can't tell you for sure who it's going to be. The list is long enough that you can feel optimistic about it. I agree with that, which a year ago, I don't know if that was the case. It was like, is either Tyreek Smith or Zach Harrison going to be the guy? And is Haskell Garrett going to repeat what he did last year? But then we started talking about freshmen. Now this year, I don't think we've mentioned, I've only mentioned the freshmen because and that's Kate. Kate and Curry is the only freshman here right now. And so we're not even talking about him in this conversation. That's a good spot to be in. Another guy that we talked to today to wrap things up, Noah Potter. And I hope people are familiar with what he went through last year. He had posted on social media, like halfway through the year or two thirds way through the year. Like, Hey, I just had eye surgery. And it was a pretty scary thing. As it turned out, like he was, I don't know how you want to measure this. I'm not a doctor, if you didn't know, but he was trying to explain it to us today, all the medical terms of it. But within a, a, a short amount of the condition being worse than what it was to where he might not be able to see out of his right eye right now. He was talking to him after uh, the podium there today. I guess it was more of a table um, sort of walking with him to, to talk about something else. And I just sort of asked, like, because I'd asked, like, was this a football injury? And he was like, well, it had to have been football related because I didn't get in a car wreck or anything, but it wasn't like it was he took a shot one day and then his vision was blurry. It was sort of an accumulation over time of something that was getting worse and worse. But he said he got the surgery. There was there was a six month recovery process, six week, I'm sorry, recovery process. And then once that was over, he's good to go again. But uh, just one day at practice, uh, he looked up, was trying to see the scoreboard and he couldn't see it. Like it was like missing from his peripheral vision and just some scary stuff. And, uh, but from talking to him today, you get a sense of one of those guys that behind the scenes is, uh, you know, a committed guy, a really intelligent guy. I thought today, now again, partially it helps that doctors have been talking to you about these specific things today. But in other ways, he was kind of expounding on other things. He was close with Harry Miller before all of his uh, stuff kind of came to a head in the last year. And uh, a guy that uh, felt like something was taken away from him last year, but wants a chance. I don't know th- how much he breaks into a rotation this year, but he's a guy who gives Ohio State some versatility. He's played end. He's played tackle. He can, he can give them depth in a couple ways. Yeah, he came here to play end, but he was a perfect candidate as a guy who learns those hand fighting techniques and then moved inside and they moved him inside. And then his eye, he had eye surgery. Eye surgery sounds disgusting, by the way. I'm sorry. Um, I'm just like trying to envision him explaining this to you. And it's just it's creeping me out. There are a couple of videos. I think some of the other guys on the beat did videos. I didn't have my camera when I was at his table, but. Yeah, it's not it's not fun. He was explaining like the difference between like the the fluids and the squishy part and uh, how your eye, if it gets to a certain place, then you can't see anymore. And it it does sound like I'm I'm not making light of it. It it was it was pretty scary for him. He also had a foot injury last year. Just uh, one of those years that just really piled up on the guy. And then, like I said, you know, on top of that, like one of his best friends was going through a lot of stuff. And I think does does is there an opening for him now? Like now that he's healthy, he's another guy who's, he's a four-star guy, you know, um, 
is there somewhere in the rotation that he could fit in somewhere that he can, because he's been on the field before, not again, like in a primary way, but uh, somebody to keep an eye on just as a, uh, for depth for a team that again, likes what it has coming in a lot of places, but is still looking for stability in a lot of ways. They play six. So if you're asking me, can he crack a six man rotation at three tech where it's Talik Williams, probably Jerron cage. If he's not at nose, I mean, yeah, he could crack a six man rotation. He likes to the more, the one thing about Larry Johnson, the more guys he can play, the better in his mind. Yeah. I think that's a good way to look at it. That's going to wrap up this Buckeye Talk. We'll be back on Friday. Uh, I know we've been getting them to you a little bit later in the day and tomorrow. We're not going to record Friday's podcast until Friday. So look for that. That'll carry you through the weekend. I think we're going to talk about, I believe Doug is planning for us to have a, a very specific conversation about Jackson Smith and Jigba that I think you're all going to find intriguing. So until then, I'm Nathan Baird for Stephen Means. That was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.